Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I've helped make people and companies a lot of money, and I myself have looked back and like, okay, I did okay. You know, I was like, I don't know where my beach house is or why am I not retired? Where's my G5? And believe me, we all have those things. I mean, I definitely can get that, you know, I can do the bitter act as good as the next guy. But one of the things is when you do recover and you look back, you go, you know what? It's all part of it. All right, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Let's get right to it. This man deserves the proper introduction. And when you wake up, you're going to have a great time on this show, I guarantee you. Over a career spanning two decades, Kevin Riley has helped bring to life some of the greatest television shows of this or any generation, serving as president of five television networks including NBC, Fox, FX, and currently president of TBS and TNT. Riley was born in Manhasset, New York, and earned his undergraduate degree from Cornell University and began his career at NBC, where he had a hand in the development of distinctive and groundbreaking hits, including the pilots of ER, Homicide, Life on the Street, and Law and Order. From 94 to 2000, he served as president of television at Brillstein Gray Entertainment, where he was responsible for shepherding some of television's top shows, such as the pilot for The Sopranos, the NBC comedies Just Shoot Me, and News Radio. In 2000, Riley served as president of entertainment for FX. In that role, he helped redefine the basic cable business with an aggressive slate of original quality programming, including Nip Tuck and Rescue Me. Within a year of his revival, FX made cable history with its seminal series, The Shield, which broke cable ratings records when it premiered and went on to win a Golden Globe Award for Best Drama Series and an Emmy Award for its lead actor and star, Michael Chiklis. After FX, Riley served as president of NBC from 2004 to 2007, where his vocal support helped The Office survive its low-rated first season and continue to syndication. 
and Riley developed other hit shows, including My Name is Earl, Heroes, 30 Rock, and Friday Night Lights. In 2007, Riley headed to Fox, where he oversaw the launch of the Emmy-nominated Golden Globe-winning pop culture sensation Glee, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which earned the Golden Globe for Best Comedy Series in its first season, New Girl, Fox's highest-rated sitcom in 10 years, and Gotham and Empire, two of the biggest hits of the 2014-15 season. Since 2014, Riley has served as the president of TBS and TNT and chief creative officer of Turner Entertainment, where in 2016 he shocked the industry by cutting out 50% of the ads and adding back 10 minutes of show content for TNT's new dramas, starting with hit show Animal Kingdom. At TBS, Riley has introduced both dark original dramas as well as an edgy comedy slate, including Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, The Detour, Angie Tribeca, Wrecked, and People of Earth. Riley won the Larry Stewart Leadership and Inspiration Award, as well as the Gil Nickel Humanitarian Award, and sits on the board of directors of Mashable, member of the board of trustees for the American Film Institute, and in 2016 he was inducted into the Broadcasting and Cable Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a guy I'm so proud to have here and have so much respect for, Kevin Riley. Wow. Thank you very much, Barry. It's great to be here. You look fantastic. You could, like, circumcise a small Jewish boy off of you. You're really in good shape. <laughs> you know, I feel pretty good. It's, uh, I, I had a little, a few life adjustments in the last couple of years, just in terms of my personal life, kind of, you know, got divorced, and, uh, and at the same time, I was exiting Fox, and that and makes for a... You know, I don't recommend you do those things in the same window, but it was uh, it, it all ended up for the better. The other side of it is good. It's not the most fun process uh, all the way through. And I don't care, you know, in this country where it's so prevalent, you know, anybody in any way, shape or form when, when they're in it, like everybody's in the same boat, you know, no matter how good it's going to go or you know even the smooth ones it's like holy shit is there an end to this thing so do you ever say to yourself after that happens it's possible to have a relationship that goes my entire life or do you say it's not possible anymore you know it depends what day you ask yeah you know i i'd like to believe still inside you you kind of hope everybody hopes that there's you know possibility for that i've actually been with a woman now for a year and a half coincidentally that like was the last thing i planned on you know, like uh, somebody came up to me who was a divorced guy, like held up his phone and goes, you're going out with her. And I go, yeah, set it up, whatever. You know, And then <laughs> a year and a half later, I'm still there. So it's going pretty good. But the reason why I say that is because I've always been fascinated by you. And I'll tell you why. You've always been successful and you had a marriage for a long time and it yeah. is successful and I consider that successful. Yeah. And so you've been at so many different places and every time you're there, it's amazing the things that happened. Let's say NBC. Yeah. Your first full year in there, there were six things that went forward under your watch. Some fashion. And then a couple of years later, it's like, hey, pal, we're going to make a change. Yeah, as I say, I was, I was invited to no longer do the job. You're one of those guys who has had some nine real, lives. <laughs> more than nine lives. Yeah. And you've had situations where it's like you're a fighter who got knocked down, who's winning the fight to the 15th or 12th round and in the last two minutes somebody comes from yeah. nowhere and says you're going down yeah but you always come back and you always show the side of you that's so positive and no one ever sees the side of you i could talk to a hundred executives who've worked with you 
and not one of them would ever say oh kevin you know he just walks around all moody and it never happens but i think first of all that's the nature of our business right i mean i i, I think that's great but if you look at anybody who's sustained i mean that's one of the things i think i uh, respect more than anything is somebody who has hung in for a long time mm-hmm. and succeeded or had a second or third act uh, you know, when I was at Fox, we had American Idol and I was like, holy shit, I'm up here with Steven Tyler. Now I couldn't, it was one of those things where I couldn't, I remember seeing Steven Tyler, like, you know, in a, an arena when they were at the absolute height. I was like, you know, uh, Aerosmith, man. And then I saw them like downtown at some shithole. Where even, I can't even remember where it was. Like someone goes, hey, let's go see them. I know the sound guy. They were like falling down. I, 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 like they were off key. They were like, you know, it was like a third of the place was even full. And I was like, what happened to Aerosmith? <laughs> and then they made a comeback, you know? I mean, they did the walk this way and all of a sudden they had a new thing. I remember going to Howard Stern's 60th birthday, actually. Uh, that, when was it? The year that the Super Bowl was in New York. And, and I don't know Howard well, but I got invited. I had a thing when I was at FX. We had a show, which he roasted me on the air for canceling Son of a Beach for two weeks. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for an hour. It'll be fun. I stayed for the full three hours because first of all, it was a great show. But I was like, there's a guy who I started listening to on AM radio when I was like making 12 cents as a PA and getting up. I would literally, he would get me through the day logging on in the morning when he would come on. And here he is having this whole crazy, all these celebrities showing up for him. I just respect resilience with people and reinvention, you know, and it's in our business. Like anybody who's successful. Yeah. You know, sure. Like, you know, it's like the standup was an overnight sensation, but they don't see the nights in the yuck, yuck house getting fucking booed (laughs) off at one in the morning. And, you know, on my end of the game, especially someone who's been involved at being, you know, whatever, a head programmer or running a network, you kind of got to go on the line for this stuff. And I think if you don't, and if you don't stand for something, uh, you know, what's the job? Why bother doing it? And you can, and that's why some people get these jobs. The chair's only rented. Somebody told me that early on, like that chair's only rented. And you find that out very quickly. Like you're in it. You think you're good. You're popular. Four seconds as soon as later, when you're out of that chair, they're kissing somebody else's ass. So you'd like to believe that you stood for something that you went on the hook, that you have something to show for it. Well, some people went, you know what? You put that on, or you helped me with that, or you gave me the shot. And I'm happy to say that even through a lot of those times, I was down, man. I was not happy. I was getting beat up and or fired. So, but I was really happy to see on the other side of it that all of that stuff going on the hook, getting out in front of it, accrues. And that's why, thankfully, I've been offered another job. But that and everybody, a lot of other people just suck. So, But you're always offered gigs. Let's just take somebody who I consider to be a genius yeah. in another profession. Yeah. Bill Belichick. Yeah. <laughs> everybody knows why he was fired in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. He was losing. Right. You teach your children to do a great job. Magic Johnson says, over-deliver. Yeah. Over-deliver, you'll be successful. And that's what you've done every step of the way. And yet you're one of the few guys who, for some reason, takes the hit yeah. and keeps on ticking. That's why I wanted to interview you so badly, because I'm so excited for you here. And what you're doing here 
is amazing. It's yeah. really incredible. No, it's going great. And you've changed the whole face of things. We're just warming up. <laughs> yeah, you, you convinced a man who's been doing things his own way yeah. successfully. But I mean, it was legacy. It's uh, kind of been going on autopilot and to a certain extent in some respects. Yeah, so you come in and you change the whole culture yeah. of the game. Yeah. When a guy who was here before you was a guy who was here for many, many years, right. Michael Wright. Yeah, well, they had very, very successful brands yeah. here that Steve Coonan ran out of Atlanta. Michael Wright ran the programming. They were just, they, they had really thrived, unbelievably profitable, and they had a certain audience that really liked a certain thing. Um, at, on a business level, they did an unbelievable job. I mean, they, they, these were money machines. And on a programming level, they had highly successful shows. What they just didn't quite line up with was that, you know, somewhere between when I was at FX, you know, almost 14 years ago, we kind of said, hey, some of the coolest stuff can come out of cable. And since that time, that's been the truth, that the real culture drivers were coming out of cable. And these brands didn't just line up with that. So they became these big superstores that a lot of people came to for different things. And just for our audience, I attribute the change in cable programming and scripted dramatic television to you with the shield on fx it truly was the pivotal moment and i don't i i really you know not even with false humility don't walk around saying like the father of cable but it is true that the facts are you know which sean ryan who created it michael chiklis who took a chance you know those guys that show when i went to fx I had this idea. Peter Liguori was running it. He had come out of HBO and he said, look, I kind of want to do this cooler thing. Blah, 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 blah. We talked about what the brand could be. And I said, well, that's great, but you're not going to, you're not going to get with any of this stuff, you know? Right. And so together we came up like, well, let's do this HBO for basic cable. So I'm trying to find this thing. And the idea was let's take what's going on. I had been involved with the Sopranos with HBO. I had been at, Brillstein Gray, where we were doing this at HBO, and I said, why can't you do HBO kind of stuff on basic cable? And everyone said, well, you can't, the economics, and blah, 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 blah. The only thing that was really working was there were some Westerns that TNT would make. There was a lot of stuff, really cheaply produced things, like TV movies of the week done at Lifetime, and they would get really big numbers. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. And, you know, even at the time, I was like, well, what is our rating? We were doing like a 0.5 rating. And they said, if you could just get to a one. <laughs> and I said, well, OK, but, you know, Lifetime does a two rating. They get forget it. You're never going to get a two rating. <clears throat> and then we, we saw the shield. I got the script. And I said to Sean Ryan at the time, he came in. He, he was given to me as a writing sample. And I said, well, we'll make this. And he was 
at the time, like a mid-level writer. He had never really even made a pilot. And he sa- I said, uh, he goes, well, what do you mean you'll make it? I go, no, we'll make this. <laughs> and at the end, now it's like, you know, everything's gotten kind of out there. But at the time, the lead character turns around and shoots another cop through the head in the last scene of the show. And he's like, well, exactly as I've written it? I said, yeah, yeah, as you've written it. And then the same thing happened with Michael Chiklis, you know, where he came in and he had his own thing where he had reinvented himself and I wouldn't let him come in. I was like, he's a good actor. He's not really the guy we're looking for. And finally they said he'll read. And I'm expecting like, you know, the chubby bald guy to walk in, not the guy who's in tip top shape, chewing Nicorette gum with like a polished chrome dome. He came in like literally lasers coming out of his eyes, did his read, walked out the door, slammed the door, and we were like peeled out of the seats. We go, okay, I guess he got that job. (laughs) And he just said, okay, here's the deal. I just want to know one thing. You're making this show, right? This show as scripted. He goes, all right, then I'm in. And then it was the first show to, not only did it then premiere to a four rating, which was a cable record, nobody had ever, I mean, literally, the poor guy, we literally had a guy, I, 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 God bless him, I'm not gonna, but that guy had a stutter who ran our, who ran our, uh, uh, to begin with, who ran our research, and when I called the next day, and he was trying to tell me that we broke a cable record, let me just say it took a few times for him to get through the sentence, and then it went on to win, you know, the first Emmy for, for basic cable, the first Golden Globe, I was sitting next to Michael when they called his name, and he got up, and I grabbed his arm, like, where, where, you, where the fuck are you going, and he literally turned to me, and he goes, just go with it, like, and I go, oh my god, he won, now, you know, now they all take the trophies, but... So, yes, that had never really happened before. In a similar theme, yeah. there's a guy who runs the Fox Empire who's an older guy, Rupert Murdoch, who you might not think has as much of a hand in it, but you can guarantee that he had to probably approve the show going forward. For a guy you know, who has an autocratic reputation, and you certainly can see streaks of that, he, is not, he himself is not a content guy. He doesn't get in and send, send me the rough cut. He didn't even know the shield was on the air. But what he does is, is he does say content is important and I need people that run brands and he gives them the money and empowers them to do it. And Chernin, who was there, you know, we articulated what we wanted to do and he said, you know, you have a slim chance of succeeding with that, but sounds like a good plan. Go for it. And then Peter was really acknowledging of what we did. In fact, I had drinks with him two nights ago and he, he still talks about it. It was an amazing thing of when that lit up. And that's what he did do. So he never even, the only time it got on his radar, frankly, was, we, <laughs> look, we were pushing standards like it had never been pushed before. And the amazing thing was we were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But at one point he happened, happened to see an episode because he kept bumping into people. We had a character who was a cop who was a closeted gay guy. And there was an episode where he happened to be slip out of frame and go down on a guy. <laughs> of course, that's the one Rupert happened to watch that night. He called up with a few notes the next day. It was an interesting, it was an, literally one of those things. I mean, let me just say at that point in my career, he was not calling me directly. And I'm like sitting in my, I'm at like, I, I think I was at lunch and all of a sudden it's like, uh, I have Mr. Murdoch calling. I'm like, I was like, who's goofing on me? Um, and then I'm in like a loud restaurant with him sort of talking to me and I'm going, yes, of course. Yeah, I have no idea what you're saying, but... Uh, that was really the only time he weighed in on it. So again, so you have this most successful show here. You're changing the culture at all yeah. these places. 
things are working from the outside when you read about something where somebody is moving on or they're making a change you literally sit back and you just don't understand the concept well, of the business but the truth is like there's times when i haven't played my cards right politically i mean there are p political components to these big companies the job i'm in right now happens to have politics really not be a part of it it's unbelievable i i actually love the guy i work for i love the people working for me it's very clean you know, if, if and when the AT&T merger goes through, I hope it's maintained because at this moment in time, the Turner culture is, is really a positive one. And it's great to put all of your energies into your job and not have to worry about, you know, vying for a chair or fighting. <clears throat> and look, part of the hard thing is I've been, I've done a good job at places where the momentum has turned and stuff just it brings out the worst in people or can. You know, where all of a sudden the shit's hitting the fan. So I'm doing what I believe is right or what I believe is good work. At times, I haven't been savvy enough myself to have figured out how to play through that. I've worked with people who are unbelievable politicians. They just know how to. And, and by the way, some are unbelievable frauds and have succeeded being just an incredible learning how to, how to you know, play up. I can name names if you'd like, but I literally, I mean, there are ex I have seen experts who are great at thriving in an environment, but with, with a lot of fraudulence, but I've also seen people who are really politically savvy and also the real deal. And I'd name his name, Peter Chernin. Peter Chernin is unbelievable at figuring out how to both thrive in a, look, he had to throw he became a very, you know, he ran News Corp. He was his Rupert's right-hand man had to play through, you know, uh, the, the family element. Peter did that in a very savvy and successful way for a long time and also happened to deliver the goods in many, many, many different ways. I'm a huge fan of his. And so it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. At times I've been naive about that a little earlier in my career. At times I've been in a really political, really supercharged environment where I didn't want to play the game or probably should have done better. And so believe me, there's times when I have my scars where I, I, did, I was bitter for certain times where I'd be like, I just got screwed, you know? And, and, and then I'd look back and go, yeah, you could have done this better or maybe you should have been ahead of that more or held the line harder, you know? Um, look, there's times when you gotta, there, there were moments where I could have gone in and said, you know what, here's what I need, where I didn't even realize I had the leverage that I, that I could have had, which is, here's what I'm going to need right now from you. And if you're not willing to do it, I resign and, and go, you know, fix it yourself. And at the time I thought, well, I don't want to rock the boat or you know what? I don't have the leverage. They're going to fire me if I do that. And, and I should have, I, I, there were times when I could have done that and politically, you know, got the rat out of the wood pile a little bit. Like, um, and sometimes you need to do those power moves. So that's your answer. And look, one of the good things about getting older is you do get a little perspective and you realize, you know, I say this a lot of times if I teach classes or something, you know, life is like a stock ticker. You know, you, if you bought the right stock and you go, God, this thing has quadrupled since I bought it. Well, it didn't go straight line up. Nothing ever does. There's times when there's peaks and there's times in the valleys and you hope that trend line just moves up. And so you get a little perspective and, you know, hopefully you get over those wounds and you can move on. You know, I mean, I definitely have some deep ones and even financial things. There are times where I've helped make P 
people and companies a lot of money. And I myself, I've looked back and like, okay, I did okay. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know where my beach house is or why am I not retired? Where's my G5? And believe me, we all have those things. I mean, I definitely can get that, you know, I can do the bitter act as good as the next guy. But one of the things is when you do recover and you look back, you go, you know what? It's all part of it. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Tell our audience a time when you're deciding on all the pilots that are gonna be picked yeah. up, the DVD goes in, it plays, and everybody in the room is like, we don't think we're gonna do this, and you've sort of pounded your fist on the table or you said, hey listen, you brought me here because of this and that show is going on the air is there a show that you fought for there's a there's a million i mean i mean i know the office you fought for it staying on after it was already on that that one i did fight to get on i would have never even gotten on i mean uh so the office was one tell us some other ones where you really fought where the group didn't think it was going to be something special but also i want you to tell me a situation where you were like listen this isn't going anywhere, but if you guys want to go forward, we'll put that one on, and it was successful. I've never had that one happen. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I really have, you know, uh, and, um, but, but fortunately now I'm finally at a place in my career and at a company where, you know, I don't have to, like, fight the powers, you know, and go against the man, you know. I mean, a lot of autonomy and... and uh, endorsement to be able to go we're doing this and you know I'm, i work with guys who say great that you know sounds like a good plan and you know you know we're, we're very much in sync back through the old broadcast days you know those were crazy times because you know like certainly i did two tours at nbc you know you used to get you know the, those compressed now television is vastly different which is the whole focus of my real focus of my career today beyond putting on programs is just the complete change in the business. But that, those rooms where you were sitting there in the compressed week of getting the, getting the cuts, screening them, having these debates about what went where and what made the cut and Tuesday, I cannot tell you, it, it, it's some of the most bizarre, compressed, also the, the nature of the, the experience from you usually just got these things. This was going to make or break your whole, 
year and in some ways your whole career. What Kevin's alluding to is when you do pilot season, which normally is from January through around the end of April, yeah. and then people would be delivering their pilots normally the first week of May. And there'd be a week or a weekend where executives would get in the room and watch every single drama pilot, yes. every single yeah. comedy pilot, and then they'd have to make a decision for the upfronts. Which would be literally like a week later where you're going out to sell them billions of dollars worth of advertising. But it really is, it was a very insane and heady process. I mean, now it's almost quaint because the, the business is so vast and there's so much more commerce that goes on in so many different places. But at the time to be a part of that era where it was still a pretty powerful position because a lot of people, you know, wanted to find out if they had jobs, you know, writers, directors, actors, hey, was my show picked up? So they're hanging on it. Studios with their commerce, which is how many do we get picked up? This is going to be the lifeblood of our whole studio selling these things internationally. We don't know how many shows that we get. How was our you determined a lot of people's fates. So there were agents lobbying and studios lobbying and talent lobbying and you, really, it was like Washington, you know, and at the same token in that room, not it would have been far easier if it was you as the entertainment president got to sit with your people like what shows do we love? You had to go through research and then you had your your head of ad sales way in, you know, it back in the day at NBC, we used to have like Dick Ebersol was a powerful guy who ran sports. Dick had some experience entertainment. So Dick, while being a smart guy, thought he knew everything about everything and used to come and set bombs off all the time. You know, well, I wouldn't put that on Tuesday. Well, where would you put it? I don't know. I got to run, you know, <laughs> gee, thanks for the help, Dick. You know, you've just now blown up the schedule and, uh, and, and I, and I single him out because he single-handedly pounded the table about 19 times telling me how the office was the worst show we ever saw. And I can't believe I'm putting this thing on the air. <clears throat> that was one of about 10 of those go-rounds. And at one point in time, he actually, we had a funny, I remember him getting up and coming up and hugging me and being like, you know, hey, this is just, this is just what we do. And I was like, yeah, well, I appreciate that, but maybe fun for you. <clears throat> and, you know, you had your head of affiliate relations and you had a lot of people who really knew nothing about programming, giving you crazy opinions. Like, well, I think the... I think the one guy is kind of, I think the wife is sort of cute and we need things with some female appeal and maybe we should put that on and might be good after that. And you're going, oh my God, I want to put a bullet in my head. And so some of it was humoring that process just to get to the end. But, you know, when things were not going well and you were down or you had to come off a tough year, it led a lot more opinions free and, the, and you had a lot more you know, a lot of backroom conversations where everyone would go, hey, we're behind you. Hey, thumbs up, looking good. And they'd shut the door and they'd blah, 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 you know, like, oh, this thing suck. We're not gonna, blah, blah, blah. And all I can say is there was also, I learned very little correlation with all of that helpful input, quote unquote, and the end result. None of knew anything. And so you had to really just see through the noise and go, well, this is what we're gonna put on. And quite often even the research as you know famously documented you know with low testing pilots like Seinfeld <laughs> and I was in the room as a junior executive the year that Seinfeld screened it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life and they read the research report and even legendary programmer Brandon Tartikoff said look we love it but it's too New York and too Jewish we're not putting it on and I remember thinking like, wow, either I don't know shit or this is a big mistake, <laughs> you know, and then it did get a four episode order and the rest is history, but the lowest order so, in history. Yeah. So the truth is like through that process, I went through some insane, crazy times. I mean, look, 
I was the head of drama at NBC when we did the ER pilot and I had put on a show, NBC was struggling in drama at that point. I was not having a hot hand. And I was like, okay, this is not fun. I put on this show, Homicide. I thought it was really good. Uh, Barry Levinson, Tom Fontana. It was amazing. Kind of a seminal cop show, but it was just okay. It was just doing, barely hanging. I was like, wow, that was my big show. I'm struggling to get stuff going on, traction. The next year, the ER pilot. And I was like, okay, I didn't know it was going to be groundbreaking, but I was like, I think this thing is going to be good. It comes in, it screens. Everybody craps all over. It kind of storms out of the screening room. <laughs> I literally walk down the hall and I go, this is it. I don't know how, but I'm leaving the network. I'm done. Like, I, I, I actually think this thing is pretty good. You know, Warner Brothers, who had the pilot, you know, the rest is history there, too. Tested it that night. They invited me to go to the test. I remember I went out to dinner with David Nevins, who I was working with at the time. We now run Showtime. Yeah. We went to dinner. We walked in the room. When we walked in, you could see the test was straight lined across the top of the chart. And the people were having the, the focus group was saying things like, I don't know who this is, but they should get a box of Emmys out because this is going to be like, it's going to be like NYPD blue only better. People are like, this is the most amazing show ever. We go, okay, you stocked the pond. This can't be true. And then they did like five more times and get together the same result. Even then the network was like, yeah, we'll put it on, but I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and so I left, <laughs> I left the company and was pretty bummed out. I mean, had I know it was going to go on to be a 40 share, you know, I might've stayed. So let me tell you, I was bitter. You talk about bitter. I was not super thrilled the next year to realize like all these geniuses were there collecting the points, like running around on the victory parade. And I like had the scars and I go, yeah, you know, I guess I'm out of the story. And, and that happened a few times for me. But and, and I really did cling to that for a long time. But then there was a point where you're like, all right, moving on, you know, and now it's like, OK, great. It's a funny story to tell. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels you pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave... 
please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.